This is Akeem Haynes here, two-time Olympian, 2016 Olympic bronze medalist, author, and motivational speaker. And right now, you are listening to the Mountain Movers Podcast. This is the Mountain Movers Podcast, a platform for you, the ones with a voice to be heard, but no microphone to speak it. This is your time, your chance to become more than they believe you are, more than you believe you are. So let's do this together. Season two premiere, I can't believe it. I'm sitting here almost stunned to have the opportunity to chat with Akeem. Brother, how you doing? I'm well, man. I'm always a pretty simple guy. You know, I first start my days and my mornings off with gratitude. So whenever I have an opportunity to wake up and the Lord gave me another day, it's it's, it's always a gift, man. I'm, I'm well, I'm well. It's great to hear, man. So just to kick things off, let's let the listeners in on who you are and what you do. So I'm a two-time Olympian, a 2016 Olympic bronze medalist, uh, published author, and now a full-time motivational speaker. Um, so I've had some, had some pretty cool things happen in my life in the sport of track and field, but I always knew that there was more to it than just the sport. So now I help individuals and organizations develop a resilient mindset so they can break through in their field. So by the sound of it, It looks like you have all these different passions inside of you that you had these different interests and motivations, you know, getting you out of bed in the morning. And so you decided to chase them. Is that true? Yeah, man. You know, I think I think at the beginning, uh, you know, we are all just trying to figure out, you know, what we're doing on this earth. And I believe everybody has a purpose on this earth. And I've been in contact with many people who say, you know, Akeem, I don't I don't I don't know what my purpose is. I don't have a purpose. But everybody has a purpose. You're not just here to exist. And so you have to take time and spend time trying to figure out what that purpose looks like for you. And for me, it's always been trying to help people remember and remind them of how strong they can be. You know, we as human beings, we don't know how strong we can be until being strong is our only option. And so for me, everything that I do has always been much bigger than myself, even when I was involved in sport. And so given your history in such an incredibly difficult and challenging sport, such as track and field, you know, you must have had that drive for it from an early age. Can you tell me how you got started in running? Yeah, so I took track seriously, started taking it seriously in the, in the 11th grade. Now, I had been running in high school at Crescent Heights uh, in the 10th grade, but didn't really take it seriously like that. I was more focused on football. I was a dual sport athlete throughout high school. And so in the 11th grade, the moment I started taking it seriously was there would be there was this guy that I would race. Uh, he was a year older than me, but we were still in the same category. And I'd beat him in the one, but he'd beat me in the two. And so a reporter was talking to him and he said, you know, Akeem is very good in the one, but he can't beat me in the two. And I kind of took that as, look, you're not going to tell me what I cannot do. So I started taking it a lot more seriously, started training more, started taking things um, a little bit more serious and focused and making sure that I was aligned. Um, And from there, um, you know, I I became 
number one and number two in North America in both my events. I became one of the top recruits. And so it kind of just, everything kind of just maneuvered from there. So what was the switch that went off in your head? You know, they told you that you couldn't do it. So what did you do? What did you take upon yourself to make that happen? Well, um, I'm, I'm a self-motivated guy. Like I never needed somebody to tell me, oh, Kim, you got to do this so you can get this result. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it regardless because that's just, that's just how I'm cut. That's just how I'm made. And so, you know, people always think that, you know, motivation comes externally and don't get me wrong. Like it does help. Like you need the external factors, but there is a certain internal motivation that you need inside of you. And I think that's developed through experiences. And so for me, like I grew up, I grew up very tough. You know, I grew up rough. I grew up a lot of, a lot of violence, a lot of crime, like, you know, so for me, I was just looking for a way to help my situation get better. And so with every opportunity that came my way, you know, I just attacked it differently. I had made up in my mind that regardless of what happens in my life and regardless of what comes my way, I'm gonna make the most of it. And when I started playing sport, I started to realize, you know, this may be an opportunity for me to get my school paid for. This may be an opportunity for me to use this as a passport and open up other doors. So for me, man, you know, I've, I've always been internally motivated and it just so happened that when sport came, I just used what I've experienced through my life at an early age and used that to push me on the days when I was tired or when I was frustrated or, you know, when I felt like uh, somebody was counting me out. You know, I, I never needed that external voice, but it did help and it pushed me and it just created this, this almost this other person inside of me, man. So when I attacked everything, oh man, you just get a different Akeem, man. <laughs> yeah. Akeem 2.0, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> to some extent. Absolutely. So running, I guess, ultimately became your purpose and your why. What's funny about that, man, is, you know, I, sports was never really, um, I always felt like I was called to do something else. And I knew that when I was 13 years old. And so for me, you know, track and field was probably my f third or fourth favorite sport, you know, so it wasn't something like I never, I've never once said, you know, my dream is to go to the Olympics. That, that wasn't a dream for me. You know, one of my dreams was I want to get my school paid for like 100%, like no loans, 100% fully scholarshiped out. So that was my main factor behind running. You know, I was, I had all my intentions to play football for the most part. And so to say that it was my purpose, um, no, I, but I think it was a great bridge uh, in between what I'm doing now. So tell me about, you know, you started really taking track seriously at the end of high school. And so tell me what it was like, you know, getting more into college and then later on the Olympics. Yeah. So, you know, for me, one of the things um, that helped me get a scholarship, man, was I'm a firm believer that in order to break through in a certain area in your life and push through towards your dreams and aspirations, you first have to figure out what are you up against? If you don't know what you're up against, it's hard when you get set back. But if you know what you're up against, then you know that setbacks and delays are going to happen. So for me, one of the things that I knew after a bunch of mathematical work 
and research, I found out that for me to get a full athletic scholarship to a Division I school in America was a 1.3 chance, right? So whereas some people would see that as, man, that's impossible. I saw that as even though the percentage is low, it's still a chance, right? So I knew there were some things that I had to do differently. So I had to, I had to go to the field when nobody was there. I had to go to the field at 9 p.m. when everybody's sleeping. I had to go and make sure my nutrition was right as best as it could be under the circumstances. I knew I had to do other things. And so I was willing to do other things. Most people are willing to do other things, but most people want to get publicized for it. Most people want the reward to say, man, I was out here doing this. You know, I remember the moments when I used to be at the field at 9.30 p.m. in the pitch dark, and I was there running, and I was there working on my mechanics trying to figure it out. And I loved it because there was nobody there to tell me anything. There was nobody there to talk. I had to be in tune with my own mind, right? Our mind is the, our greatest weapon, but it can also be the thing that holds us back because we are going to think whatever we want to think. We are going to believe whatever we want to believe. But when you're in a place of quietness, that is when your truest doubts and thoughts will make itself apparent. So during those times, man, I would hear so many thoughts of like, Keem, why are you doing this? Man, everybody's sleeping. Like, go back home. Like, what are you doing? Like, go, go, go back and go watch some TV. But I had wired in my mind that when I'm asleep, China's up. When I'm asleep, Australia's up. So there's somebody there who wants my scholarship. So I got to make sure that when I'm up, I got to maximize it. So moving forward onward to college, I graduated from the University of Alabama. And, you know, I went to junior college first at, a, at Barton Community College. I was a junior college All-American national champion. Um, then I went to Alabama and became an All-American there as well, too. And for me, even how the Olympics happened, I was just ready at the time. Right. Like I'm a firm believer that you got to prepare for the opportunity. So when the opportunity comes, you just seize the moment. Right. So for me in 2012, I made my first Olympic team when I was 19, 20 years old because I stayed ready and stayed prepared for the opportunity to come. I didn't even really know about the Olympics like that until I got to school. And I was like, wait, I'm about a year and a half out. Maybe I should really try for this. And so during that moment, I realized, you know, you can only control how you prepare for something and how you prepare for an opportunity. You never know when the opportunity is going to come, but you can always control your preparation for something that hasn't come yet. And so that's kind of how I carried it over. Um, a couple of years later, after I graduated University of Alabama, um, I, had, I had some injuries that I was battling with. Uh, I went to train with Altus in Phoenix, Arizona, and I stayed out there. I had some tough years at Alabama battling injuries and just not running so well. But when I graduated University of Alabama, the next year, you know, I'd be, I, finished with, I finished number three in the world to 60 meters. You know, I ran 6.51, one of Canada's fastest times um, in almost a decade. And so, you know, the next year, 2016 came and it was the Olympics. I was four years older, more experienced, and just ready to seize an opportunity. So, man, for me, I've kind of just stayed ready for the opportunity and prepared as best as I can each year. So when the opportunity came for the Olympics to come, you know, I just did my best to uh, make sure I executed on making it happen. So obviously you worked hard for it. You know, you trained day in and day out to get to where you are. But when things started to go your way, when opportunities started to present themselves, was it a shock? 
not a shock because I expected things to happen, right? And we never know when it's going to happen, but we got to expect something to happen, right? If you don't expect good things to happen to you, it'll probably never will, right? But you have to expect these things. And for me, it always just started in in affirmations, right? So I'd always say, you know, Akeem, um, today you're going to have a great session. And today, the sacrifices you make today down the road, because you made the sacrifices now, that's what's going to allow you to prosper down the road. And so I would just remind myself day in and day out, day in and day out. But I expected good things to happen to me. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I expected. I always expected that the sacrifices that I made would come back at some point. And, you know, I always I always had faith, you know, the... Uh, um, the scripture says in Joel 2, verse 22, it says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. You know, that's a that's a promise, which means that the sacrifices that you make will come back. So, man, I, I, I just expected, I always expect good things to happen if I do my due diligence and I take care of my preparation. And that sounds incredible, man. You got to take me through your training now. You know, I don't know much about sprinting whatsoever. I'm an endurance athlete. I like distance, <laughs> but what does what does a sprinter's training look like? Yeah, man. So everybody's different, right? So um, I was more wired to be like I'm a very wiry guy. I have very fast twitch muscle fibers, and so. But I know that every time that I train, like it takes a lot out of me when I sprint. So from so how a week would look like for me when I was training uh, Monday would be. You would come in to warm up, get a little workout in, very small. So it would look like maybe some strides, maybe some excels, maybe some jumps, you know, some some stuff that'll get me ready for Tuesday. Tuesday was always a tough day. Like, you know, you're coming in to put in some serious work that day. So sometimes it would be, you know, uh, block days. Block days are intense because during my camp, you had some of the fastest guys in the world. Like you had Amir Webb, you had Chichindu Uja, who's from UK, Andre DeGrasse, um, Chavez Hart. Like the group was the group was crazy. So you got to come to work that day. So we'd do some block starts, you know, some 20s, 30s, 40s. And then we'd probably finish up with uh, 150, 120, and a 90, and maybe a 60. And then we'd call it a day. And Wednesday would be like a recovery type day. You come in get some treatment, you know, do some light stuff. And then Thursday would be a day where I would do something to maintain and get some quality speed work in, but it wouldn't be as taxing as Tuesday. So we have these things called like speed dribbles, which basically looks like riding a bike, but very faster, but you're not trying to cover a lot of space. Um, Then Friday would kind of be similar to Wednesday, something very light. And then Saturday would be the hardest sessions out the week. So that may be that may be some some 150s fast, some 120s fast, some 90s fast, some 60s fast, and then that would kind of kind of finish out the week. Jeez, man, that's that's unbelievable. Before you really got into it, how did you bring yourself to do it? The the sessions you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, man. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, um, you have to 
Because in Phoenix, man, it was hot too. Like, man, we're talking about, there's been some sessions where it's plus 38, plus 40. Yeah. And there's no real shade, right? So it's just like, man, I can't wait to go inside. But, you know, I just focused on, if I knew I had some long runs or a hard session, I just said, you know what? Let me focus on the rep in front of me. So, yeah, we got seven runs, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be taxing. But I got to make sure I do the best one that I can do right now with this moment. And so, you know, sometimes I know athletes who who know what we have on a specific day, and they would psych themselves out, and their session wouldn't be as good because they'd psych themselves out before they even got in. So for me, I just went in, and I said, man, this is going to be a tough day, but I got to take care of this rep right now. You know, got to make sure you focus on the rep in front of you. And that's that's kind of how I attacked each run, man. You know, I I knew it was going to suck. I knew it was going to be painful, but I knew that, you know, I got to be present with each rep in order to make the training session a success. Mm. And obviously you had your goals in mind, right? You knew that in order to achieve what you wanted to achieve, you had to show up for yourself first. Absolutely. You 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 have to set those goals. I think it's good to set those goals. I think you should have a long-term goal. I think you should have short-term goals. I think you should have monthly goals. And so for me, I just knew that uh, I wanted to get better each each week, each session, right? But I was also realistic, too, into the fact of if you're training six days out the week, like every session isn't going to be golden, right? Like it's not going to be, you know, I killed it today. Some days you're going to feel tired, right? Like we would, the 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 first week, I'd feel good. Then the second week, you know, there would be some days where I'd be like, oh, man, I'm a little tired today. But you still got to push through it, right? Because when you do the same workout again next month, you're like, man, I'm so much more smooth. I'm so much faster, so much more efficient, mm-hmm. right? So I just wanted to continue to get better each week. And then when it was time to reflect, I go back and I check my times. And I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, this week was better. This week was better. I mean, I guess that's what it takes to improve in any aspect of your life. You know, the more you work at it, the more you, you know, dive in head first, the more results you're going to see. Yeah, absolutely, man. If I could say one thing to help the listeners today, whether you're in sport or whether you're starting your business or you already have a business going or you're, you have a position, like whatever it is that you do, right? Like losses are going to come your way. Like setbacks are going to come your way. Tough times are going to come your way. One of the things that has helped me in sport, in my business now, is I don't get too high and I don't get too low, right? And I got to have, you got to have short-term memory because if you focus too much on the losses, you will neglect the small wins that has been happening, right? So you can't necessarily take the tough days to heart, feel what you feel, go through what you go through, but don't dwell on it, right? Because when you dwell on something, you can always find a reason to stay in that negative hole. And that's a hole that I don't think anybody really wants. <laughs> Absolutely not. We got we to gotta stay away from that one as best as we can. Hell yeah. So I got to know, you got to take me through what it was like stepping into the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, man. So in 2012, right, it was, um, it was in London and I was 20. And so I would say for that one, I was mostly there for the experience because I didn't make it in the individual hundred. I was there for the relay, but um, it was, it was, it, it was a good time, right? Like I saw a bunch of guys and girls that I saw on TV. Um, you know, I saw Kobe, I saw, 
Uh, I saw LeBron, you know, I saw Gabby Douglas at the time. Like I saw a bunch of these people, Michael Phelps, like I saw a bunch of these guys you see on TV. But I think, I think uh, what most people from the outside looking in is like, when you get to the Olympic games, like it's not, it's not all fun and games. Like it's a business, <laughs> right? Like it's a, you're there for a specific purpose. So everybody was kind of in their zone, right? So everybody would be cordial, but you're there and you're just wired because you know if you take care of what you're supposed to do during this time, like some some good outcomes are going to happen once you leave this. And it's a lot of people's dreams, right? So for me, it was good to experience that, good to see it, good to see what it was about. And I think even what most people don't understand is, you know, there is pressure when you're at the Olympic Games and you're competing, but there's a lot of external pressures that people may, may not see as a big deal. For example, you get to the Olympics and your family's coming and you're racing in two days, but your family gets there and they're just like, hey, can we get like 17 tickets? And you don't want to have to, you don't want to have to deal with 17 tickets. That's you, you want to focus on your race or your event. But now you got to go and talk to the people and see if you can get these 17 tickets. And then you got to find out how you're going to get these 17 tickets to them. Right. So it's these it's these small added stresses that I think people don't see. It's a very intense and stressful environment. And so four years later, passed on to Rio. Um, I was four years older. I was more experienced, but I knew what to expect. Right. I knew what to expect. I knew what the pressures would look like. I knew what time to be in the call room. I knew uh, that I was not the only one that was nervous. Like I knew all of these small things. And so when I stepped into the stadium, um, especially for the Olympic final, I remember, you know, they called Canada out and everybody got to their lanes and I was walking down the track. Uh, it was so loud in the stadium so loud, but I could hear everything. Like I could hear every single thing that was happening, right? And I took a moment to say, you know what, man? In the history of sport and field, in the history of sports, especially in track and field, in any field, it's like how many people can say that they made the final? You know what I'm saying? Like how many people can say that they have the opportunity to compete for an Olympic medal? So even though I was walking down to the line, I took a moment to appreciate where I was and the opportunities that was right in front of me. And so that in my mind gave me that added, that added kick to say, hey, man, let's just go out and just enjoy this. Do your part, but don't neglect the moment, right? And for me, it was that, it was that notion of like, okay, Akeem, you're here. Let's go ahead and let's make it happen, man. You know, this is an opportunity to compete for an Olympic medal. Right. Even even uh, even to this day, I, 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 I haven't looked at the medal often. Right. But mm -hmm. it's one of those things that I know that in about 20 years from now, I'll be like, you know what? That was a very cool experience. I'll be able to show my kids and my grandchildren down the road that, you know, I was able to accomplish something that not many people were able to do. But for me, in those moments, it was just like, let's appreciate this, but let's not forget that we have a job to do. And so you thought about it. You know, you thought about where you stood, you thought about who you were with, and you thought about, you know, all the days that you put into getting to that moment. And so what was the initial reaction to, you know, towing the line? To come to the line, my reaction was this, uh, Akeem, when the gun goes, you go. <laughs> that was it. That was it because, you know, sometimes 
when we're in a pressure situation, right? And I tell my I tell my young athletes this, guys that I mentor, and I tell organizations this as well too. I said, you know, when you're in a pressure situation, what you don't want to do is do something different, right? Because when you do something different, then your mind starts to panic and you'll get different results. But when you're in a pressure situation, just do what you've been doing. Like, trust your preparation. Like, your body is going to do what it's going to do. Your mind is going to do what it's going to do. You've been doing the same thing over and over and over again. You know, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent, right? So everything that is already ingrained in you is going to happen. Don't try to change anything. So for me, I just said my set, you know, Akeem, when the gun goes, you go. Your team, your teammates will do the rest. And so literally that was my only thought going to that line was when the gun goes, you go. And make sure that you get out and you give your team uh, a good enough space when they get the stick so we have a little bit of advantage because, you know, we had uh, we had the Americans below us and we had the Jamaicans below us and, you know, Japan was behind us. So it was, it was you know, you had to get out because those guys were coming. So when the gun goes, Akeem, you go, man. That's That was my thoughts. I, I can only imagine that it was an experience that, you know, you may have retired from the sport, but that's like you said, an experience that later on in your life, you'll be able to reflect and realize that that could have been one of the moments that really shaped who you are today. It was definitely a moment in, in, in my sporting career that is, that, is, that is up there, you know, and it's one of those moments where I'll always be grateful for. And, you know, for me, I've always heard the saying, you know, sports teaches you a lot about who you are. But for me, man, my life experiences has prepared me for the ups and downs of sport. You know, I feel like I was one of those anomalies who uh, reversed engineered what most people would do and most people would say. So, man, it's one of those times where, you know, I'll be able to look back and say, you know what, Akeem, man, even if even if, you know, track and field wasn't your favorite sport like that, you still were able to accomplish this feat. And for that, you know, I'll, I'll forever be grateful. And, you know, we're in the record books. You know, we broke the Canadian record that was held by the 1996 gold medal winning Olympic team with Donovan Bailey, Bruni Surin, uh, Robert Esme, and Glenroy Gilbert. You know, and, and, and those guys won gold. But we broke the record. You know what I'm saying? So my group, my quartet of... Uh, me to Aaron Brown to Brendan Roddy to Andre DeGrasse, you know, we're 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 in the history right now. We're the fastest team in Canada ever. And, you know, that that's also pretty cool to say. You know, how many people can say that they're record holders? You know, and 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 yeah. It's pretty cool, man. So now fast forward a bit. You said you played football. Yeah, so after after I retired in 2017, there had always been talks about football, at least for me, but there were some outside voices kind of saying, you know, Akeem, we're hearing these rumors, man, are these rumors true? And I never really fed any, any, any thought into it really. You know, I'm a pretty private guy. I keep everything in the house. So I didn't really say too much, but shortly after, um, I signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats to play, uh, to play a little football out there, man. So, you know, I was, I was out East. I was on, I was on your ends for a little bit there. And so ultimately you retired uh, from track and field in 2017 and was football the reasoning behind that? Not particularly, man. Um, You know, I knew in 2016 uh, that 
I knew early in my track and field career that I wasn't going to, I didn't want to be one of those guys who um, was going to run track well into their thirties, their mid thirties. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I just didn't want that. There was other things that I wanted to do, other things I wanted to work towards, other things that I believe I was called to do. And so, but football has always been something that I wanted to do. And when the opportunity came, um, you know, I had to make a lot of changes. You know, I had to physically get bigger. You know, the, the, the weight room was a little different. I was eating a little bit more, um, but I wanted to maintain my speed. So there was some battles in between there. But um, football wasn't the deciding factor, but it was, a, it was a part of it that I knew was still inside of me. And so what was it about football that really caught your eye? Well, it kind of happened when I was young, man. You know, it was... Um, I enjoyed it, you know, when I came, I'm originally from Jamaica and, and football in Jamaica is soccer, right? So I didn't know what this sport was. And so initially when I started playing football, you know, a friend said, Akeem, do you want to go out and try out for football in the ninth grade? And I said, what is football? And he showed me this video of these guys running, running next to each other at full speed, hitting each other. I said, man, this is, this is kind of gladiator-esque. I said, this doesn't seem like something I want to take part in. Uh, but when I went to try out, you know, it was one of those things where I was just like, man, you mean to tell me that like, uh, I can, I can one, I can hit people and not get in trouble for it is one, two, I can make people miss on the field and look completely stupid and, and it'd be fine. So it was kind of that adrenaline rush for me, man. And it was one of those things where like in football, in football, you can get better every single day because you can go out and you can work, right? You want to run better routes, you can you can go to practice and then you can go and run more routes and define it. And I like the aspect of it, like I control how much I get better. And in track and field, it was a little different because you can't have a speed session Tuesday morning and then come back and have another speed session Tuesday afternoon. It's just not going to work. It, it can, but you probably get hurt right? Because you got to take the rest. So football for me was more like, man, I can work every single day. I control my work towards this. And, you know, it just so happened that, uh, that you can, you know, you can, you can make people look bad along the way too. And that's, that's, that's always a good thing in sports sometimes. (laughs) So for someone who's such a diverse athlete, you know, you've been able to train your body to take on sprinting track and field, and then football, you know, but that couldn't have been easy whatsoever. And so how has your mental health changed throughout sport? And in saying that, I mean, you know, how has it affected when you were training at your highest point and versus when you pulled back a bit? Yeah, man. So the transition uh, mentally, I've always been a mentally resilient guy, man. I've, I've, I've always been wired to think differently and to just do the work and just don't complain but when I was making the switch from track to football you know I hadn't played football since high school and there were some things that I had needed to relearn and so I needed to relearn how to catch you know I wasn't catching from a high school quarterback anymore I was catching from professional quarterbacks who this is what they do you know so I had to learn that aspect of it, you know, I had to put on weight. When I was running, um, you know, I'd be anywhere from 160 to 163, 164 when I was at my peak top level. Uh, but in football, 
I had to put on 10, 10, 12 pounds because I knew I was going to get hit, right? So I bulked up from 163 to 173, 175, 176, but I was still able to run 4-3. And so I had to challenge my body and demand more of it. So there would be days where I'd be completely sore, completely busted, like, man. But I knew I had to train through those days because I had to mimic what it would feel like to play a game again and to get hit over and over again and to be fresh enough for the next play, right? So I would go into the lifting and weight session of my training sessions for football and I would max out my body every single, every single rep. I'm a firm believer, at least for me, I always demanded more of my body in the off season. Right. Like whereas people would just do enough, do what their coach tells them. I always did more. Right. So if I'm supposed to come in and do, you know, 415 pounds on the squat, well, I would say, you know what, today I'm going to do 515 because I got to put my body through this. I got to put my body through this. You got to be smart. But I also knew what my body could handle because I was very in tune with it. So, man, for me, it was uh, it was more it was more the physical change, and then once I got there, it was like, man, I got to learn this playbook all over again. I have no idea what any of this means, and that's when the mental the mental kick comes in, and I had to really focus mentally once I got there. But physically, up until that point, it was just reminding my body of all of the football movements that I haven't done in a while. Akeem, you're hungry, you're driven, you're motivated. But have you always been that way? Um, I, I've had to develop that. But I knew my mindset really started to change when I was 13. You know, um, at, you know, at 13, you know, like I said, I was from Jamaica originally. And we moved to Canada for a better life. You know, there's a bunch of crimes, a lot of violence, things. You know, I've probably seen more, more crimes and more hardships than most people have seen you know in their well into their 50s and i've probably seen more of that when i was like 10 you know at 13 you know my mom and i were homeless staying at a bus stop you know so it was in that moment that i said man if 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 anything is going to happen in my life then i got to be the one to put things into motion you know i'm a big spiritual guy you know i believe god puts us in certain positions uh, in order to see what we're made of, but and also to get closer to us, right? So I leaned on my faith during those tough times. And so, man, I just I just made a decision to myself at 13 that, you know, I don't care what happens. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to do whatever I can to change that situation. And so for me, man, I just attacked everything a lot differently, everyday lives. You know, it, it wasn't even just it, it wasn't just even succumb to just sport by itself. You know, I'm a I'm a firm believer. Um, you know, the saying, you know, you see the cup and you see the water and people always say, you know, um, is the cup half empty or is it half full? Well, I don't look at my life like that, man. I look right. at my life as I'm the cup. Right. Because the cup is the one constant in every variable, whether there's something in it or there's something not in it. The cup is still there. Right. So how can we be more like the cup? The cup ain't going nowhere. The cup, the cup is robust. The cup is there. 
And so for me, man, I just operate like that. You know, whether there is support or there not support, I'm still going to do it with the best of my ability. Whether there's people watching or it's just me by myself, I'm still going to work as hard as if nobody is watching and think that everybody is watching. And so, man, for me, that's 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 just kind of where my mindset is at. It's it's just developed through experiences. You know, I don't think I don't think anybody is born into this positive thought and these positive atmospheres, you know. Um, for me, man, I just try to have more good days than bad. You know, there's 365 days in the year. Unless you're a robot, you're not going to have good days every single day. <laughs> so on your bad days, what do you remind yourself of? The first thing on the tough days, man, you know, I say, well, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for life because I'm still here. And if you're still here, uh, then, that, then that means that, you know, God's not finished with you yet. There's some work that needs to be done. So I start there. Um, and then the next thing I do, I said, okay, Akeem, man, you just got to use the strength and get through today, you know? So I lean a lot on scripture, on scripture, biblical context to help me get through those moments. And it's, it's, it's just continuous getting up each and every single day. And on the tough days, you got to focus and celebrate the small wins a little bit more. I'll give you an example you know, if if you're having a tough day and you know that you got to do some things today that you don't want to do, but you know you got to do it, well, think as small as you getting up out of bed and putting your feet on the ground. That's a small win because you could have stayed in bed, right? You could have stayed in bed. Then you get up to go brush your teeth. That's a small win again because you took your energy that you had and you finished and brushed your teeth and then got yourself ready. So on the tough days, man, for me, I start with gratitude and then I focus on the small wins and then I allow my habits to take over, right? When you're doing something over and over and over and over again, it becomes habitual. Your habits are kicking in. And while feelings are often fleeting, habits will endure the hardships that you're going through. Right, because there are going to be some days where you don't want to do anything, where you just want to chill, you just want to relax. But when you're working towards a goal and aspirations or a dream, it's the days that you don't feel like being positive, or the days that being positive makes the biggest difference. Akeem, I got to be honest here. You're making me want to just, you know, put this on pause and go for a run. <laughs> you know, I have all these juices, this motivation. I got to go, and I'm gonna go after this after this conversation, but. Yeah, I can I can see why you're a motivational speaker, man. You got to you got to talk to me about that. How did you find that voice? How did you find that path? Oh, man. So, you know, it, it, it again, where I believe everybody has a purpose, I also believe everybody has a gift. And I feel like your gift and your purpose are attached together. And so at a, at about 18, I started hearing people say, "You know, Kim, you you know, you're a good, you're a good listener or you give good advice. And in my mind, I'm thinking just like, oh man, you guys are just trying to be nice. I was like, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I kept hearing it over and over again. And when I got to 20, because I always searched and always thought of, man, what else am I here for on this earth? Like, what is the true purpose of my life? And I always searched and always searched. And, you know, God answered me at 20 years old when, um, I started hearing the voice enough times. And so something inside of me said, you know, Akeem, when you get get back home to Calgary from, from uh, your school break, go reach out to a school and see if you can go and speak there, say a couple words to the kids and, and, and kind of go from there. 
And so I did, and I did that. And the feedback that I got from it, like, I got some feedback from some of these young kids who are, you know, battling some, you know, some family stuff. And, you know, they wanted to give up and take their lives. And, you know, one young man said, you know, I was going to take my life, you know, but I heard that there was a track and field athlete who already been to the Olympics was coming in to speak. And I just wanted to hear, and he's, and he's from Calgary. And so I spoke there and the young man emailed me. He DM me later and said, man, I wasn't even going to come, but I heard you were coming. And I'm so glad that I came because you showed me that whatever we go through in life, we're stronger, we're stronger than it to overcome it. You remind me of how strong I can be. You made me remind you, made you reminded me that there's a purpose for my life and if you didn't come in i wouldn't be here today he said you saved my life and i heard that a few more times and i said man if this is the feeling that god has put me on this earth to do to help provide this type of feeling and this type of courage and 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 brave to the people through his through my story I said, God, then I got to I got to take this a little bit more seriously. Right. Like I got to put a little bit more effort into my craft. And so since then, man, I've just been continuously working on, you know, developing my voice, developing my message, what stories to incorporate. I started learning the intricacies of what speaking look like, what it should look like, what it should feel like, what message you want to get across, you know, and, and I started to really break down and started to become a student of speaking. And but I knew that I couldn't do it full time because I still had to do some things in track and field that I wanted to do for myself. And so, man, when I came back at it full time, man, you know, that's that's that, that's just kind of how it started, man. It's it's been a journey. Uh, but, man, you know, uh, we are all here to do something. There is an essence and a spirit about us. Put it this way, man, we all know someone who we see or we may hear their name and we're just like, oh, man, not this person again. Oh, man, I, I don't want to talk to this person. But in the other side, you, we all know somebody who was just like, man, I'm so glad to see you today. Oh, thank you, man. Like your, 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 your advice or just your aura. There's something about you that is like being around. How can we be more like the person that we want to be around? Right. Like that, that is the essence that we all have, but we got to make a decision to tap into that. And so I wanted to make sure that um, there's an essence and a presence about a team that makes people feel better, even if even if it's for a moment, even if it's for a second. Right. And so that's that's what I wanted to create, whether I was in sport or whether I'm speaking or whatever the case may be. I want that essence and that spirit to last way longer than my physical flesh is here. Akeem, I feel like, you know, it's okay if you don't have an answer for this, but I really think you're the best person to ask. How does somebody find what their purpose is? How do they know when they found it? How do they know that that is actually what their purpose is? Absolutely, man. So, um, I said earlier that your gift and your purpose, I believe, go hand in hand, right? So let's start with your gift. You know, how do you find your gift? What does your gift look like, right? For, the, for those who are looking to find their gift in this life, and I hear this all the time, a lot of people say they don't have any gift. That's another lie. But to give you a tip, your gift is that one thing that you do effortlessly, 
that just comes so naturally. For example, you may you may know someone who could sing very well. You may know someone who could who is so poetically gifted with their words. You may know someone who can play the piano extremely well. That just you know they just hop on and they just play six chords and you're like, wow, this is the most beautifulest music I've ever heard. Like it's that one thing that comes so easy, so effortlessly. And when you're trying to find your gift, it's going to take time. But also know that your gift does not always look like somebody else's, right? Like it looks different. Mm. And sometimes we overshadow our gift because it's packaged in a way that we don't think is valuable or it'll be of any worth. I know so many artists uh, who think that the canvas that they paint or they draw isn't a big deal. But I'm just like, wait a minute, let's not let's not skip over this. I'm just using artists as an example because I was talking to a young man about the same thing. And I'm just like, man, like this is your like this is your this is your gift right here. Like not many people can draw this well, right? Not many people uh, can can sing this well, can speak this well, can 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 write this well, can do math this well, can can think of so many thoughts. Like there's there's the thing that comes effortlessly to you. That is your gift. Now, how do you attach it to your purpose? Um, it takes cultivation, right? And a purpose, to simplify it, is every person has something to offer to the world. You just have to offer it in a way that's authentic to you. For me, I believe God gave me a way to articulate words and vocabulary and put it in a way that everybody will be able to understand in the most simplistic way possible. And I had to cultivate that because I used to have a very bad speech impediment, like very bad. And so I had to spend time figuring how to, you know, not to talk too fast and not to do this and not to do that. And I knew that my purpose was to share my story, right? But share my story in ways and to crowds and to people that would resonate to what they're going through. And so for me, um, my gift, you know, everybody can speak, everybody can put words together. You know, I, I, I teach people how to do just that in my Fearless Speakers Academy. And I just know that my story is my gift and my purpose to the world to share my story, to remind people of their true strength and their mindset that they can get through anything. And for me, man, it's, it's, it's to narrow it down to two things. Find your gift. Your gift is the one thing that you do extremely well with the least amount of effort. It may not look like anybody else's, but there's something there, right? Then you cultivate their gift to the highest that you can be and find a way to serve the world while being authentic to you. And I would say, man, those two are how is how a person um, operates in their purpose. And so what ultimately ended up pushing you to, <laughs> you're an author, you wrote two books. What pushed you to do that? Well, man, one day I was in class <laughs> and I was reading uh, the science, the science book. And I was like, man, this is so boring. And I was like, I think I can put together a better book than this. And so it, <laughs> it started together as a simple thought, right? And then as I went back to my dorm and started to think about it more, I said, man, like, you know, what if I wrote a book that my siblings can see? And if they can see it, then they can say, you know what, maybe I can write a book as well. 
And then I started to think deeper. I said, man, what if my kids see my name on a book? That means that they would say, look, if my father can do it, then I can do it too. And then I started to think deeper into it. I said, man, what if everybody around me who knows me, who knows where I'm from, who knows my upbringing, who knows what I had to go through to get to the point, what if they saw my name on the book and they got the book and they read the book that they can say, look, if Akeem can write a book, then I can write a book too. And so I said, what if I wrote two books? What if I wrote three? What if I wrote four? The fourth book is finished. It's just not, I just haven't published it yet. Right? So for me, I was just like, man, like, what if I did this and then somebody can see it and they can say, you know what, if Akeem can do it, then maybe I can do it too. And so that is kind of where it started, man. It's, it's the, the, the books are definitely ways to encourage people on their path, but it's also to see a bigger scale of, man, if Akeem can do it, Akeem got, Akeem got two, three learning disabilities. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. if Akeem got two or three learning ability, disabilities and he can put together some books, what does that say about you? You could put together a book too. You could put some, you, you could figure it out. And so, man, it was just bigger than myself, man. It was, it started off as me reading a science textbook that I was like, this book is boring. I think I can write something um, better than this. Not saying that, you know, it was boring for the information to the class. But for me, I was like, man, you know, if I can do this, then those coming behind me can have the blueprint in case they want to write a book down the road. Bro, people don't understand how much potential they have. And I think in a nutshell, this episode is really showing everybody that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter where you come from. It's about the mindset that drives you to get to where you want to be. A hundred percent, man. Like I... I'm a firm believer that there is no time like the present, right? And there's no time like the present to make whatever you want to accomplish happen, right? The pursuit, right? The pursuit. Like, I've had so many things in my life that didn't work out, (laughs) like didn't work out whatsoever. But I did everything in my power to make it work out, and I left no stone unturned. If a person is able to pursue something regardless of the destination, regardless of the result, but you said, I'm going to do this and do it to the best of my ability, you are a winner. There's 7.6 billion people in the world, and very few people have the courage to go and try to go and put something in a direction and try to make it happen. And not worry about the fact that, man, if I fall flat on my face, what happens? What are people going to think? What's gonna, how am I going to recover from this? And it's those moments where, look, we all fail. Let's go all the way back to when we were kids and learning how to tie our shoes. How long did it take us to learn how to tie our shoes? That means we failed over and over and over again until we learned and we figured it out. And now we can tie knots and we can do all these different things. But we failed But as kids, we just kept going and continued trying. We didn't worry about failure. Sometimes we have to go back to the pure mindset of a child who is just trying to just trying to tie the shoes so they can go run and the shoe is going to fall off anyway. (laughs) But we get back to there is there is victory in the pursuit to something because very few people have the courage to pursue what they think is possible for them. Focus on the pursuit 
if your heart is in the right place, if it's if you're doing everything in your power to make it happen, what's what's going to be is going to be. But you got to start the pursuit and you can't worry about what age you are and what you have and what you don't have. Focus on what's in front of you. Right. Everybody's journey is a little different. Everybody goes through different things, different experiences, but everybody's journey is significant. And we have to know that regardless of what age, what color, whatever that we are in, that there is significant value in each and every single person and the world needs the good things that you have to offer it. Right? So whatever that you decide to do the moment that you wake up, trust and believe and have faith that you can make it happen, that you can find a way to figure it out. Right? God is God wants to help you. You know what I'm saying? Like God wants to help you line these things up. You know, scripture says work by faith is dead. Work without faith is dead. But you have to work and put effort into it and move, create some momentum, create some forward progress. And then the world will transpire to help you achieve and get to where you want to achieve. But you got to put things into motion yourself, man. It first starts with making a conscious decision every day that I'm going to be courageous enough to act today and I'm going to be brave enough to finish what I started. So let's fast forward a bit. What ambitions do you have coming up? What's next for Akeem? Yeah, man. So, you know, this, um, this, uh, this, this COVID-19 has, 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 uh, I'm going to say rescheduled because, you know, I've had some gigs that were canceled, but you know, they'll come back down the road. So I had a bunch of, a bunch of gigs that were canceled, um, that, that uh, have opened up some other doors for me in the sense of, you know, teaching people and showing them how that they can develop their own speaking voice and they can go out and spread their message to the world through voice. Um, What's next for me, man, is I want to, I want to be able to travel. Um, In March of this year, I started this thing called Starting From Scratch. Starting From Scratch was an event that I created, uh, that I put on, that my team and I put on um, from from where we're going to have it, from what it's going to look like, from designing, like every single thing uh, we put together on our own, right? I want to bring that through different parts of the country and different parts of the world. Right, because everybody before anything even happens in their lives, they all started from scratch. Right, you're just trying to you started just to try to figure it out. And so, man, for me, the mission is always the same, man. You know, um, regardless of whatever I'm attached to, is you know, I want to remind people that nothing is out of reach, uh, but you got to have the right mindset and the right mentality to be able to reach it, man. Yeah, no, I get that, man. Uh, it's insane the things that we don't even know are out there, just find us. You know, I was never a runner. I danced. I'm a dancer. I danced since I was nine years old. I'm still a dancer, but ultimately running was something that I found, you know, I was hiding behind a corner and it was just about getting to that corner at the right time and, and, and yeah, diving right into it. And that's the same with this podcast. And I said it at the beginning of this episode and I'll say it now that you are a well-rounded individual. And I don't mean that because you do this and you do that. I mean, just because it sounds like you just 
I'll say it. You, I feel like you have it all figured out. We all have our days and we all have our setbacks, but it sounds like you are on the right path for Akeem, that you are doing exactly what Akeem needs to be doing. Man, that means a lot, man. I, I, I appreciate you saying that, man. I'm, um, you know, I believe so. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the sense of, you know, what <laughs> we got to take ourselves wherever we go. And for me, I just want to make sure that every single thing that I'm attached to, that it's authentic to me. And I'm not even talking about when I'm on stage or I'm speaking on social media. Like what you see is what you get with the king, whether you see him on social media or you see him on real life. Right. Like this is this is me through and through. Um, I don't change. I shouldn't say I don't change. I change for the better. But my heart is always going to be the same. You know, like I'm not going to be someone who switches it up on Monday and Wednesday comes. I'm a different person. Like what you see is what you get. Right. Like I'm a I'm a I'm a very I'm a very low key guy. Matter of fact, you know, I'm a what's the word? I'm a I'm an introvert by nature. But God says, Mm -hmm. look, man, you got to go and you got to do my work for me. And so when he says that, you know, I got to be able to be externally externally uh, driven when I need to be. But for me, man. Look, we're in this world, no matter what age you are, uh, we are all just trying to figure it out. And as we get older, we figure out areas a little bit more than what we knew a couple of days or a month or a year before. And so for me, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. But man, I believe I'm getting closer each and every single day. And I have faith that what's going to be, what's going to be for me is going to be for me, man. And I just don't try to force anything. You know, we, we yeah. oftentimes we want something so bad, whether it's success or whether it's this idea, we want it so bad that we try to force pieces to a puzzle that was never intended to fit. I want everything that's going to come to me. I want God to say, you know, Akeem, yep, this is for you, right? I put this in here for you. Go ahead and figure it out, but this is for you. And so, man, for me, I just, I, I take it daily. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a robot. You know, I speak for a living. But that doesn't mean I don't have my days. Um, but on yeah. every, in every dark moment, man, uh, I always just try to understand that um, there is seeds to extract from it. And if we can operate in always trying to find the good in a tough situation, man, we'll be able to overcome uh, any, any storm that comes our way, man. So to wrap things up here, I do what's called a mountain minute. Now, this is a rapid fire round of questions. I hit you with a question. You hit me with an answer. <laughs> Are you ready for that? This is pressure, man. This is pressure, man. But let's make it happen. This, this, this is, is the mountain, mountain minute. All right, man. Three, two, one. Favorite movie? Gladiator. Favorite food? Uh, curry, rice, and chicken. Go to breakfast? Uh. Toast and jam. <laughs> Favorite song? Uh, it's a song by Alkaline Words called Son of a Queen. Where did you first hear this song? Um, I was in practice and I heard a friend on a playlist and it was talking about the strength of a mother and it just stuck out to me. What is your guilty pleasure song? Guilty pleasure song? Mm-hmm. Um. That's a great question, man. Uh, probably any type of freestyle. I love freestyles. Favorite day of the week? Uh, Wednesday. Least favorite day of the week? 
Friday. Favorite color? Blue. What time do you usually go to bed? That's a great question. Um, anywhere from 11.30 to 12. What time do you usually wake up? 5.15. If you can make any animal your pet, what animal would you choose? Oh, man, definitely an eagle or a black panther. If you could change the stigma around one thing in the world, what would it be? Oh, man, uh, the one stigma is... Uh... There's always the stigma around around guys that you know it's it's we shouldn't show emotion, but I think guys are way more emotional than uh, uh, than women are, and I think that we need to know that it's okay to cry, it's okay to say that we're not okay. If you could trade lives with anyone for one day, who would it be? Oh man, for one day, that's a great question. Um, I would probably say, uh, I would say I I'd say LeBron. I'd say LeBron. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Uh, teleportation. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Coffee or tea? Oh, man. Coffee. Rain or shine? <laughs> Rain. <laughs> Day or night? Um, night. Favorite number? seven where do you want to travel where do i want to travel uh, i want to go to the maldives and i want to go to bali i want to see what the hype is about fill in the blank this podcast is awesome <laughs> thank you so much brother i really appreciate you jumping on and being so open with your story open with your beliefs and open with, with this knowledge that you hold it's a pleasure, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. I love what you're doing. I love that you're trying to connect with people and share a message and, and, and allow this platform to be a positive thing, man. And right now, look, this is needed. You know, we all need positivity and source of encouragement, man. It's the, it's the one thing that connects human beings and helps us move forward. Absolutely. All right, brother. Take care. You as well, man. I'm here, man. We'll talk soon, brother. Heck yeah. Connect soon. Peace. Thank you all for tuning into the season two premiere of the Mountain Movers podcast. Now, if you enjoyed what you heard, you know what to do. Leave a rating and a review and let me know what you think. Now, you can find Akeem on Instagram at underdog A-K-H. Click the link in his bio. Check out his YouTube account, his podcast, his website. All of his resources are right there for you to grab. Until next time, keep climbing. Love always, Jake.